it's life lessons from a funeral psalm, part two. We'll just read a bit and then we'll stop and go on as the word goes on. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now that your spirit would speak to all of us. And tonight, Lord, that your word would have again free course, that you would fill my mouth and anoint my clay lips. Lord, that you would instruct and teach us tonight, encourage us and bless us as you deem and see it fit to do so. And we pray, O oh God, if there's one tonight that's not yet saved, that they would see their need of Christ. And may they come repentant to the foot of the old rugged cross. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. And we looked at it last week, most of our evening last week, really we looked at that and we said, that's relationship. He's my, mine. Christ is my shepherd. Trust me, can say that all of us this evening, that he's my personal saviour. That is my own and personal saviour. It's ownership. It's relationship. And we're glad he didn't say the church is my shepherd. No, he says the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says I shall not want. We looked at that and we showed you how um, the words or the names are the revelation of God. The invisible God, Yahweh. We'll call him Jehovah tonight because it's really what most people know the term as. And it is that I shall not want, I shall lack for nothing. And so that's supply. He supplies our need. We looked at it last week, how the words are for the term to supply our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And we looked last week at how Abraham in Genesis 22 took Isaac up the mountain, and Isaac said, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said to his son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. How God provided, and we looked at that last week, and we want to go on uh, further tonight. So this is, if you missed last week, you can listen to it online, or we'll get you a CD, whatever you'd like. But this is part two, so we don't want to do too big a recap on that. One thing we must recognize is from verse 1, the opening line, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah God, is my shepherd. And we looked at all the different names of the shepherd of Israel for his sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. And to say the Lord is my shepherd is relationship. And by the time we get to the last verse of Psalm 23, That is verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember the term forever, that's eternity. I will dwell in his presence, in his kingdom, in his house forever. Relationship with Christ in this life is essential for the next life, for the kingdom of God. In other words, we must know Jesus as our own Lord and personal Savior and have that salvation lordship in our life of him if we want to end up where verse 6 is, as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. And should Jesus tarry 100 out of 100 of us, we'll pass through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's where you are at the other end of that. One, will Christ walk you through and you'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. His rod and his staff, though they comfort you. 
Because you have known him in this life, because he's been your savior in this life, because you've trusted in him alone for salvation in this life, because his blood covers you, cleanses you in this life, and you have a relationship with him in this life. Will he be with you as you pass from this life to the next life, the life which is either heaven or hell? Kingdom or eternal fire? It's essential to know him as your your shepherd, your personal Lord. That's relationship. Let's look at verse 2 as we carry on with that thought in mind. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Notice. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. You see, the, the, the sheep or the soul, the man or the woman who have not found rest, peace of mind of their heart. The man and the woman who have not found relationship in Christ, that is him as your savior. You're never at peace. You're never at rest because God has placed eternity in our hearts. And that's why there's so many people trying to work their way to God. So many people trying to buy idols to God. So many people all around the world from all different faiths. And every people, every person really deep down inside has a hope that one day if there is a heaven. Some say, I don't believe. Well, I don't believe. I don't believe. I don't believe. I don't believe. I believe men and women try to run from the truth and the reality of things. And the easiest way to blanket out is say, I don't believe. Their hearts deceive themselves. And so whenever we look at this, we must realize he maketh me to lie down. It's rest, knowing to have the rest in our soul that we're saved. Are you saved tonight? That we're saved. S-A-V-E-D. Saved. Saved from who? Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from the penalty of your sin. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from a lake of fire. Are you saved? Preacher, are you saved? Absolutely, yes. Are you not arrogant in saying that, preacher? Absolutely not. Because I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ. I trust completely in what he's accomplished on the cross. When he shed his blood and died and he cried it as finished, I trust solely in what he done and in nothing else. I don't try to add anything to it. I just receive it because I believe it because he accomplished it and Jesus did it. So are you saved tonight? Are you saved from your sin? And you're saved from your sin. He doesn't save you in your sin, by the way. The scripture says you're saved from our sins. We are saved from, not in. You may be in your sin when you're saved, but you're not saved in your sin to continue on in your sin. <laughs> you're saved from your sin and Christ changes the life and Christ changes the heart and Christ changes the desires and Christ gives you a newness of life and a newness of want and newness of desires. You're saved from your old self. You have a threefold enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And listen, if all the world got converted and the devil dropped dead, you'd still have an enemy yourself. You're your own worst enemy. Every one of us are. Every single one of us, we are our own worst enemy. Friend, are you saved tonight from yourself? From the very depraved nature that every one of us has? The inability to save ourselves, that without Christ we are hopeless and helpless, and we will end up in a lost eternity. Are you saved? It's not presumption because it's in the Bible. I remember talking to a pastor one time. This is a pastor who preached the word of God. And he said to me privately, we don't really know till we get there. And I rebuked him to his face. I says, oh, yes, we do. I says, I have been saved by the precious blood of Christ, present tense. 
I am sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. And none can pluck me out of his or his father's hands. Friend, are you saved? Are you secured? Are you secure in knowing that you're saved? Are you assured that you're going to the kingdom of God? That without a doubt, can you leave here tonight and say, I know for certain that I'm saved, that I belong to Christ. You see, here the rest comes to the soul that knows him in relationship from verse 1. Notice, if you turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, please. Just a few verses. I'll tell you a little bit of the story that is happening here before we go any further. Judges 6. And if you would just let your eye run down to verse 23. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Ibizrites. Notice here, Gideon builds an altar because the Midianites had come, and if you read that chapter, they had taken everything from Israel, and Israel had no peace. The enemy was at every door, every border, every place, and they, they had no peace at all. And the Lord finds Gideon threshing wheat to hide it. He says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Now, if you read this, you'll see the, 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 the very dialogue between them. If you let your eye run down the same chapter, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Here's a man hiding. And Gideon said unto him, O oh, my Lord, if it be with us, if it be the Lord be with us, why then has this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, they had no rest. They had no rest. The Midianites tortured them. They didn't want to know God. Threw God out. Don't want to know anything about him. And so the Lord says, well, you don't want me, then I'll step back and the enemy can do what he wants then. If that's what you want, Israel. And so as he stands back, he allows the Midianites to come and the Midianites are torturing them. There's no rest. And the Lord comes to Gideon and he's threshing wheat, the wine press. He says, you're a mighty man of valor. Isn't it good to know that the Lord sees in you what you don't see in yourself? Not what you are, but what he can make you to become. Even from before salvation, you come and say, I could never keep this. You're right, you couldn't keep it. But trusting in Christ, and you'll make many mistakes, and your ups and your downs and your falls, your highs and your lows, mountains and valleys, he will keep you. And God sees a finished article and God sees a finished product in each and every one of us who are his. He sees a finished product in Gideon. Gideon's hiding, you're a mighty man of valor. You're, you're choking me, aren't you? At least he was out trying, wasn't he? At least he was out doing. Where were the rest of them? But notice this. Notice what Gideon says in verse 13. Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our father told us of? He had heard about Egypt. The plagues coming out under the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the door lintels. He had heard it all passed down. They'd heard it about coming through the Red Sea dry shod right in the middle of the sea. And the Egyptians being swallowed up by the sea. They had heard of the manna. They had heard of the, the water out of the rock. Gideon says, where's all these miracles now? See, God hadn't changed. Israel had changed. Lord, we remember when the, all the revivals were happening in Ulster. We remember the Ulster revival. Remember the Hebrides, Lord. 
Remember the Isle of Skye, and we remember the, the revivals that took place in Wales, and we remember the revivals across England. We remember the Great Awakenings, the first and the second, and so on in the United States. We remember it, Lord, and we remember the miraculous gifts and ministries that come out, and the sick were being healed all over the place, and trophy walls were set up in churches where they'd taken wheelchairs and crutches and nailed it to the wall to show the glory of the God of God. But where are you now? Where are you now? God says, I'm here, I haven't changed, you have. God has never changed for you and your life. What is it that you need? What is it for his glory that you think you can't do, but he's called you to do, and you're afraid to step out into? He's the one who is all-sufficient. You can't get rest, you know why? Because of disobedience. And because you haven't stepped out into what God has given you to do, or you haven't trusted him for greater, bigger things that he wants to do through you. And the soul without Christ never finds rest. And so Gideon builds an altar after the whole dialogue. I haven't time to go through it. And he says in verse 24, And Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Shalom means my peace, rest. But it means more than you and I think. Well, you know, we would say, oh, we better peace. Just sitting here maybe in the countryside, we better peace. I was talking to Ian Davidson during the week and he was away doing a wee bit of fishing. And I says, where are you? And he says, I'm doing a bit of fishing. <laughs> he's, ready to get a, he's ready to give himself a bit of peace, weren't you? <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> It's more than that. It's good to get that peace, by the way. But it's more than that. This peace means he wants to make you whole. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace in your soul, and healing for the body. Gideon says, you're the one who brings peace to Israel. He says, yes, and I haven't changed for you tonight. Do you hear that, friend? He hasn't changed tonight. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and what is it? Today and forever. Here when we go into the psalm, the psalmist says, Lord, you bring me to places of peace. Because I know you, you supply my need. Now there's everything I need in you, spirit, soul, and body. Redeemed by precious blood. I'm at peace with God. No difference between peace with God and peace off God. The Bible speaks of both peace with God and the peace of God. Here's the difference. When you get saved, you've made peace with God. There's enmity between you and God. You're an enemy of God when you're not saved. And there's peace has been made. You have peace with God. But as you walk in relationship with Christ through the storms of life and the problems and the troubles and the turmoils that come, he fashions you from the inside out and you learn to walk with the peace of God. See the difference? Because you know him. Because you know you're saved. Because you know you're forgiven. Because you know you're blood-washed and you're blood-bought. Because you know you're kingdom-bound. Because you know in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in between that time when you and I close our eyes in death and walk that veil, that shadow, that he will neither leave us nor forsake us. He is Jehovah Shalom. He says, he leadeth me beside still waters. That's refreshment. That's refreshment. If you look with me at verse 3, please. Psalm 23, verse 3. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. That's healing. He restoreth 
of my soul. Will you turn to Exodus 15, please? Exodus chapter 15. Just let your eye run down to one verse for me. Okay, well, let's just go up a little because we might not understand what is going on here. Exodus 15 and verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters in Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. The people murmured and drank Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried, cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which he was cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet there. He made them for a statute and an ordinance, and he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. The idea here, I am the Lord that healeth thee, is actually, he says, I am the Lord that keepeth thee in health. If you do what I tell you, the statutes and the commandments, I will keep you in good health. And what does he do? Well, some five chapters later, he gives them the foods to eat and the foods not to eat. He tells them throughout the scriptures we read of how they should farm the land, how they should rest the land, how they should wash with flowing water, not with stagnant water, for diseases will form in it. And even up until the time of Florence Nightingale, these things were not known nor realized even in the United Kingdom, or Great Britain, I should say, at that time. Do you know that? We're wondering why all the soldiers were getting so sick all the time. They were wondering then why uh, diseases weren't being healed. God had told us if from government down we could learn how to live as God tells us the commandments and the statutes, well, you're not eating all the rubbish, where we're not spraying the crops with, the, with all the sprays that we're giving them, where we're not putting in on the additives and the man-made things to make them taste better, sweeter, or to heighten our senses, if we're not eating all of those animals God tells us not to eat that are an abomination to him, he says, then I'll keep you in health. But everything we eat is poisoned before we get it. If it's not an antibiotic and a chicken, then you're eating the garbage dump of the land of the pig. Notice this. He's God who keeps us in health. Here, we find that he says, this is better poisonous water don't you drink it. I have water for you to drink that you don't know of. I have water for you to drink that you don't know of. He shows them a tree and they cast it into the waters. The tree here speaks of Calvary. Are you drinking of the bitter waters of the world? The bitter waters of the places you shouldn't be and the things you shouldn't partake of. You drink of the bitter waters of society and the bitter waters of the liberalism that we hear today and the bitter waters of all of these things. God says, listen, if Calvary is applied to your life and in the midst of all this bitterness, he says, I'll keep my people in health. I restore you in soul and I will keep you in health. He says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now I see the word here for healeth. It's used 57 times in the Old Testament for the word heal. It's used once for cure. I'll cure you. And it's used once for repair. One other time it's used for repair. Do you know where it's used? When Elijah goes in 1 Kings chapter 18. And Elijah goes to the altar of the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. And it was broken down 
And Elijah gets the prophets of Baal all around him. They're cutting themselves and they're jumping on their altar and they're crying onto their false deities, onto their false gods. And the blood's pouring out of them. You can see that in Britain and places today too, can't you? And it says, he repairs the altar of the Lord. The word repairs, the exact same Hebrew word for here, I am the Lord that healeth thee. In other words, he healed the altar of the Lord where they had allowed it to be torn down. What if Britain, the United Kingdom, what if we as the church started to repair the altar of the Lord and we started to say, you know what, we're going to seek God's face and God alone. What if we invaded our very governments and our very council offices and we were around them praying and we were there, even, yes, protesting at what they're doing, bringing back in the the, the gospel and the law of God into our nation. We are repairing the altar of the Lord. We're healing what man has destroyed, what these prophets of Baal have done all around us. And when there's a sacrifice upon it, That is, when we proclaim the blood of Christ and his sacrifice, God sends forth the fire. God sends forth the fire and consumes that altar in that chapter. It's the same word here. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'm the Lord who repairs your life. Psalm 23 and verse 3 continues. If we could just read, read on, please. He restoreth my soul. Notice, he leadeth me. That's guidance. That's guidance. He restoreth my soul. That's healeth. He leadeth me. That's guidance. How does he lead me? In paths of righteousness. Doesn't say God leads me and allows me to live how I like. It doesn't say, well, I'm washed in the blood and I'm under hyper grace and we can do what we want. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Right living. Right living. It's right living for a right purpose. Where's the right purpose? For his name's sake. That's the right purpose. Right living. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, right living, for his name's sake, for the right purpose. See the term here for his name's sake. That's your purpose. To glorify his name. To glorify him in all things. For example, I don't want to dwell too long on this, and we'll go quickly just for a few of these. I think it's worthy to put this out there. The word name, N-A-M-E is the word shame. It's almost akin, very akin and close to the word Shem, where you get the name Shemite, or Shem, Noah's son. And it simply means reputation. It means fame. It means glory. It means memorial. It means renown. Listen, for his name's sake, for his reputation... For his fame, for his glory, for his memorial, for Christ's renown. He leads us that he would be glorified. He leads us that he would be glorified. He keeps us that his name is glorified. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Psalm 31, verse 3. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Lord, for your fame and reputation and glory, for your memorial, for your renown, will you lead me and guide me, saith the psalmist. That's the idea of it. Listen, let me just take you back further still. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Cain is cast away from the face of the earth. That doesn't mean to say floated into space now. It means that, that part of the land. It's the word Eretz. It means that area of land. And so they, Adam and Eve have another son. Isn't that right? Seth. 
And all down through the years, the Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth are his sons. Here's God's promise that a seed would come from Genesis 3, chapter 15. The seed of the woman coming from Eve. The seed of the woman. And that seed has to come through this line of Seth right down to Noah. The flood's coming. They build the ark. We know the story. Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah. Their wives get on the ark. One of the sons, Shem, it's the same, almost identical as the word name here. It means glory, fame, reputation, renown, memorial. And so that's where you get the name Shemite or Semitic from. It has to be down that line that Messiah would come. Why? Because God said it. His fame, his glory, his memorial, his renown, his reputation is at stake if Christ be not off the line. And right down through all of those years and all the failures of Israel, then Israel and Judah and into the tribe of Judah, to the house of David, all the failures of man, still God remains faithful and he brings forth a a boy child. And he calls his name Jesus. He says, it's my fame. It's for my name's sake. He says, it's for my name's sake. You know why God keeps me? It's because my name means anything, not in the slightest. He keeps me because he promised. He keeps his word. And if you come to Christ, you give wholeheartedly your life to him. Surrendered, fully surrendered to him. Repenting of your sin. I'll tell you, you'll fall and you'll fail. But he'll keep you. He will keep me till the river Rolls its waters at my feet. Then he'll bear me safely over Where my loved ones I shall meet. Yes, I'll sing the one the story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal sea. Right living for a right purpose. Oh, glory. He saves us and he keeps us. He leads us in paths of righteousness, right living. Why? For a right purpose, for his name's sake. That he would be exalted, that he would be glorified, that he alone would be known. His fame, his glory, his reputation, his renown would be throughout us, brothers and sisters. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, What protects us is rod and staff. Now go back to verse 3. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See the paths of righteousness? Here God's character is known in verse 3. Jehovah Sekenu. The Lord our righteousness. And you see, when Jesus died on the cross, you come with all of your sin tonight and you give it all to him. He paid for the debt of your sin. Share his precious blood, and he will, through the great transaction, give you his righteousness. Ken Davidson, 
How did you get here into God's presence? How did you get into God's glory? How did you get into God's kingdom? What did you do? I've done absolutely nothing. But I just received and But you're perfect. You're pure. You're spotless. You're white. How did you get in here? I just came through the blood of the Lamb. And he clothed me in his righteousness. He is Jehovah's Sekinyut, which means the Lord our righteousness. So now that our righteousness is from him, notice, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. The idea here is the word valley or the valley of the shadow of death. The word shadow here, pardon me, is the word salvema. Salmaveth. And it means deep shadow, a dark shadow, or a deathly shadow. It can be a literal shadow or a figurative shadow. The many people in this calling as a pastor you sit with or you visit you hold their hand and the death dew lies cold on their brow they take their last breath and you and the medical profession know it even more the difference between someone who's really ill about the past and the life in that person to the very last breath as it expires from them and they become that from a, 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 live, a living being to just a dead body. It's remarkable. And when you look at that person, they're passing through the valley of the shadow of death. I have been with people who have died with Christ. I have been with people who have died without him. One man sent for me. He didn't want to know anything to do with him. The doctor says he should have died long ago. He was laying in the hospital bed. And they sent for me afterwards. There that afternoon, trying to speak. And the family threw me out. They want to know about your God. And he came around in the middle of the night and he phoned and he asked for her. He got his sister to phone and ask for me. It's actually a family member of mine. The sister says, why, what's wrong? He says, I'm afraid. I can't do this. I'm afraid. He was petrified. And I went up and I led my family member to the Lord and he passed away like this. going to come a time when we all close our eyes and shoot Jesus tarry. But I know according to his word that he'll take me by the hand and he'll say, come on son, come with me. I'll walk you through this. I have you every step of the way. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Who's with you, Ken? The Lord my shepherd. He will shepherd me right through the valley. And into his glory. This is the way it reads. It's like I'm speaking at a, at a, a gathering like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Then it turns from you to upward. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's testing. That's when faith will be really tested and tried. When we trust Christ the time we step out of this life 
and into the next. I will fear no evil. That's assurance. For thou art with me. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. You know, the Lord reveals himself in this portion of Scripture through his name again. It's the Lord, or pardon me, Jehovah Shammah. Will you turn with me to Ezekiel 48, please? Ezekiel 48. This letter I run down, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 35. It was round in about 18,000 measures in the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Now, when you look at this, this speaks of God's kingdom. It speaks of the governmental tribes, that is, the governmental body of God's people. The four-square city or the four-square kingdom, as it were, and it talks about all of the tribes, and then it says, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. And the Lord in Psalm 23 reveals it through the psalm. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou art with me as the the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. For thou art with me, the faithfulness of God never changes, brothers and sisters, although you and I change every day. Let's go back to the psalm again, Psalm 23. We're coming to the, the end of this now. Thou preparest a table before me, in the presence of mine enemies, right? That's hope. That's hope that when the enemy is all around, not only in this life, not only in this life, but should there be veils and shadows as Christ leads us through that dark veil, should there be all the demons of hell around the borders of it, Christ will bring us hope and he will prepare a table before us in the presence of all of these enemies. The idea of it is that we will feast, the sheep will be feasting while the shepherd is fighting. The sheep are feasting in the pasture and the shepherd walks among them and he watches out for dangers and David thinks of this and there he sees a lion one day coming and it lifts one of his lambs and he runs and he beats the living daylights out of the lion. He sees a bear coming and he fights a bear off just to save the sheep. And the idea is, he says, Lord, you're like that with me. You're like that with me. And brothers and sisters, those of us who have had this saving grace and knowledge of Christ, uh, not only in this life, but in the life that is to come through that veil No matter what demon of hell would come to try and claim us, Christ claims us for his own. And he says, thus far and no further, and he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He does it in this life when we turn to him also. You know what that is? The Lord showing himself as Jehovah Nisi. The Lord, my banner. The Lord, my banner. Save us turning to it. Exodus 17, verse 16, you'll find that where the Lord will have war with Amalek. That was the enemies of Israel. And oh, they, they were the ones God really detested them. He says, I'll have war with you forever, Amalek. And I'll be a banner unto my people. Isn't it good to know tonight that the Lord not just gives us a banner. The Lord is our banner. (laughs) Jesus is our banner tonight. 
Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. That's the Holy Spirit. My cup runneth over. That's abundance in God. Blessings of the Lord maketh rich. He hath no sorrow with it. That's the blessings of this life. And then, of course, in glory for the next. And the Lord reveals himself again through another name here. Jehovah Makadashkam. And it simply means the Lord that sanctifies us. The Holy Ghost comes into the heart of the believer and he sanctifies you. In other words, he sets you apart and says, you're mine, you're different. You belong to me. And the Holy Spirit in the life makes the difference. Listen, see whether it's in a life or whether it's in a meeting like this. See if there's no Holy Ghost, we may as well just go home. No, it becomes a social club. No different. And the day, God forbid, but the day that CET ever becomes where the Lord is missing all of those times, we may as well write Ichabod across the doors, shut them and just say, well then somebody else can have it. But if we keep going on and believe in God for what he promises and what he says and believe in him to turn up, then he will. The Lord, my sanctifier, You'll find that in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13 as well. The Lord, my sanctifier. He says, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep. It is a sign between me and you that your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify thee. And the last verse, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Can we read that line together? Verse 6, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me of my life. Let's read it again. Just to there. Ready? Surely, now do you notice something here? The Lord is my shepherd. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. And in the middle, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. See how personal this is? We read this at funerals, and look, I know it's the thing that we do. But when people are gone, they're gone. This isn't to read over them, they're gone. This is a life looking back to say, you've been with me. You have kept me. You've been in valleys with me and over mountains with me. You've seen me through troubles and trials and tribulations and temptations. You have been with me in the highs and the lows, Lord. You have been with me in health and in sickness and all of these things that assail me. Yet, Lord, I know the relationship I have with you should and when I die and leave this earth, leave this time and leave this world, then in the next, Lord, I know you'll walk me through the valley of the shadow of death and I will dwell in your house forever. That's what he's saying here. Can you see? No, it's not for when we die. It's to rejoice in that we're living. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. Blessing. You see the words follow me? It's a word, radaf. You know what it means? To pursue. To hunt me down. Imagine that. We tend to think, as old Martin Luther once said, we're not praying to the Lord against his reluctance. We think we're praying, the Lord is so reluctant to bless and so reluctant to help and so reluctant to heal and so reluctant to change that we have to nearly bang the doors of God until we're nearly falling down sick. Oh, Lord, you're just so reluctant to help us. That's not what Martin Luther said. He says, we're not praying into God's reluctance. But rather, he says, we're praying down the blessing and acceptance. (laughs) God wants to bless you, church. God wants to bless our nation, you know that. But how can I when you see all the goings on that's going on? 
God wants to bless you individually. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall pursue me. So the two sheepdogs of Psalm 23 are what? Goodness and mercy, you call them. There's two sheepdogs, as it were, chasing you down every day. God is good to you. 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 There's mercy. There's mercy. Mercy. I don't deserve it. He says, but I want to give you mercy. Every one of us, every day, on our own steam, in our own merit, on our own strength, we deserve to be lost. But mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty. Where? At Calvary. And every day, goodness and mercy hunts us down. Pursues us all the days of my life. So that's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? Let the devil hear it. Forever. Forever. He's not going to accept you out and say, I've changed my mind and kicked you out. I accept you in and kicked you out. I will dwell. That's eternity. Eternity. Let's stop there. What a blessed Savior we have. The salvation that Christ brings. I need you to hear this now. I need, if you're unsaved, I need you to hear this. The salvation that Christ brings. The salvation that Christ gives. The salvation of the cross that Christ has done it all. He has paid it all. You have nothing to do for it all. Rather, just believe it all and receive it all. The salvation that Christ brings through his precious shed blood. The cleansing of our sins. The knowledge of sins forgiven. Keeping us, sealing us with the Holy Ghost. The blessing of the Lord in this life. All of that that he brings is yours tonight. If you're not saved, he wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. Here's what I would say. You thank God. And I don't say that flippantly. But you thank God that God has afforded you breath in your lungs. You thank God that God has afforded you to be able to get up out of bed this morning. You thank God that God has brought you to this place tonight. You thank God that he said to you tonight, I love you, I've died for you. I've done it all. I want to bless you. I want you into my kingdom, I want you into my heaven. You thank God that all you have to do, you don't have to go out and you don't have to walk over broken glass. You don't have to put on a hurry shirt and go and hide in the cave for a few years. You don't have to go and flagellate yourself. You don't have to go and do anything, anything. You do nothing but receive what Christ has accomplished and done for you there and then, here and now, and say, Jesus, I'm coming a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent of my sin. Come to the cross, and you'll find there's blessing for you tonight. Salvation is yours, and you'll be assured of it in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ for his fame, reputation, for his glory. Amen.